Let us pray. I'm most eternal and everlasting. Father, we are thankful this evening for your love and your mercy. We are thankful for your kindness that you continue to show us in every way in this area, individually and collectively. We have gathered together to study a portion of your word. We are aware that the human mind is incapable of understanding anything that is spiritual apart from the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So we request that the Holy Spirit will provide us the concentration that we need to hear precisely what you have for us this evening. This is a request in Christ's name. Amen. Still in Exodus chapter 17, 1 through 7. It reads in the 1984 edition of the NIV, the whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin, traveling uh, from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses replied, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water. Uh, but the people were thirsty for water. And, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, What am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, Walk on ahead of the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. And I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock, and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the place Massa and Meribah, because the Israelites quarreled, and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Now let me keep reminding you of the primary message of the major section of Exodus 16 verse 1 through chapter 17 verse 7, which is, be careful about grumbling against your spiritual leaders, since doing so is grumbling against God. Now we had previously indicated that the present section in our study will be expounded based on four lessons. The first that we have considered is that God's leading does not mean you will not encounter difficulties in your life or in your way. The second, derived from the responses of, the, of Israel and Moses to the challenge of having no drinking water at Rephidim, is to learn to take your complaint to the Lord and avoid blaming spiritual leaders for the difficulties you encounter. Now we noted that Israel failed to grasp and so apply this lesson since one of the two responses of Moses to the people of uh, to the people of lack of water that they have that their, his response to their problem is really to rebuke them for failing to trust the Lord and instead they started blaming him. So we ended last study with a promise to begin our study this evening with a second response of Moses to the problem of lack of water at Rephidim. The second response then of Moses to the problem of lack of water at Rephidim is indeed one of the reasons for a third lesson that we need to state at this point. The third lesson 
of Exodus 17 verses 1 through 7 is that spiritual leaders may gently rebuke believers who respond incorrectly to difficulties but should pray to the Lord to provide solution to their difficulties. Again, that spiritual leaders may gently rebuke believers who respond incorrectly to difficulties. They should pray to the Lord to provide solution to their difficulties. Now, this lesson is derived from two actions of Moses of rebuking of Israel and praying to the Lord for solution to the difficulty that Israel faced. Now we have actually considered the first action of Moses rebuking Israel when we consider the two rhetorical questions given in verse 2. Verse 2 has this to say, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to test? Now the two rhetorical questions of Moses were indeed his rebuke of Israel for their response to the problem of lack of water that they faced. He rebuked them for complaining to him instead of trusting the Lord and for their challenging the Lord by not trusting in him. So, it is proper for spiritual leaders then to rebuke those they lead if they observe them not acting in faith in the face of difficulties. So, with this comment, we continue then to the development of this lesson by considering the second response of Moses. Now, Moses' second response to the problem of lack of water at Rephidim, and Israel's blaming him for their plight, is his crying out to the Lord, or praying to the Lord. That's his response. Now, we are sad that Moses' second response to the problem of lack of water is in part due to uh, Israel's blaming him. Now, this... We are sad because of the word does. That word uh, in, most, in, in the NIV, of course, the word then. Look at that very first word. I mean, the word then in verse 4 of uh, chapter 17 of Exodus. Now, it is usually, the, it's usually unclear what our English translators mean when they begin a Hebrew sentence with the word then. This is because the word then may mean at that time or next. Or it can mean therefore. So we're not always sure which one they mean. That aside, the word then of the NIV is really translated from a Hebrew particle that is often translated and in our English versions. Like I said, it's very is ubiquitous in the Old Testament uh, text because, it's over, like I say, it's over 5,000 times it is used. However, the particle, of course, is often translated, and like I say, in our English, but it does have several other usages. In our passage, it is used either to introduce the result of Israel's Complaint against Moses because of lack of water at uh, uh, Rephidim, in which case it may be translated so or therefore. Or the word may be used to indicate that what is described in verse 4 follows sequentially to the complaint that Israel table against Moses. So that in that case it may be translated and then and then. Now the situation with how to begin verse 4 is that either translation that we have suggested will fit the context. Now those will probably have a situation 
where the two interpretations apply. In other words, verse 4 states what resulted from Israel's complaint against Moses for lack of water, and it states also something that is sequential to the complaint of the Israelite against Moses. So be that as he may, Moses' second response to his, uh, to Israel's complaint and to what the problem they were facing, is really introduced them with a sentence of Exodus 17 verse 4. Again, it says, Moses cried out to the Lord. Cried out to the Lord. Now the, so really, you can see that what Moses did, he's, he's directed his concern to the Lord in prayer. Now the expression cried out is translated from a, a Hebrew verb, with the general sense of a cry for help or relief from injustice and, and from suffering. So the word may be used for a cry for help as when the Egyptians cried out to Pharaoh at the time of Joseph because of the raving effects of the famine in the time of Joseph as we read in Genesis chapter 41 verse 35. I mean 55. Genesis 41 verse 55. Genesis 41 verse 55 reads, When all Egypt began to feel the famine, the people cried to Pharaoh for food. Then Pharaoh told all the Egyptians, go to Joseph, do what he tells you. Now the cry for help may be that of requesting justice, as it is used in the plea to a king of Israel for justice by a woman, uh, Elisha had restored his son to life regarding the return of her property, after seven years of absence from Israel, as recorded in Second Kings chapter eight verse five. This is a woman that uh, the prophet has shown uh, goodness to because of the kindness that uh, she showed to the prophet, and the uh, prophet said, "You better leave Israel, go somewhere else." For seven years stayed there because it's going to be some uh, terrible famine. And so she did and left. And eventually she came back. And uh, by the time she was come, came back, her property had been taken by some people. Anyway, so this is what her plea is. So we read here, just as Gehazi was telling Gehazi, that is the servant of uh, Elisha, prophet Elisha, was telling the king how Elisha, had restored the dead to life. The woman whose son Elisha had brought back to life came to beg the king for her house and land. Gehazi said, This is the woman, my lord the king, and this is her son whom Elisha restored to life. So here, cried out, she is begging for justice. Now the word is used frequently for the cry of Israel to be delivered from the Egyptians, as we read in, for example, Numbers chapter 20, verse 16. Numbers chapter 20, verse 16. It is, but when we cried out to the Lord, he heard our cry and sent an angel and brought us out of Egypt. Now we are here at Kadesh, a town on the edge of your territory. Now the word is also used for Israel calling for deliverance from other oppressors other than the Egyptians 
as we read in Judges chapter 10, verses 11 and 12. Judges chapter 10, verses 11 and 12. It is, the Lord replied, when the Egyptians, the Amorites, the Ammonites, the Philistines, the Sidonians, the Amalekites, and the Mehonites oppress you, and you cried to me for help, did I not save you from their hands? Cried out for help here? They cry for deliverance. Now the word is used for prayer. Especially in time of distress. Prayer in time of distress. And it's as indicated in the assurance of deliverance given to believers who are in the right standing with the Lord according to Psalm 34 verse 17. Psalm 34, verse 17. Psalm 34, verse 17. It is the righteous cry out. And the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. Now it is true that our word could be used for prayer. Depending on the person address. But it could also be used for speaking out in a loud voice or yelling. Such Speaking out or crying or screaming, as the word is used to describe uh, a situation that didn't happen, and therefore uh, a, a betrothed uh, virgin girl who had been raped would then have to be uh, stoned to death along with the man who raped her, according to Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 24. Deuteronomy chapter 22 verse 24. Again, this is a, a situation where uh, a young lady that is engaged, uh, well, we can use the word engaged, but that's not quite a strong thing when, when we say that the, the person is betrothed in the Old Testament. That's equivalent to being married because it cannot be broken without being considered a divorce. Anyway, this is in that case, if a man rapes her and she didn't, and she was in a, a place where she can uh, cry out and people will hear her, and she didn't do that, then uh, she'll suffer the same fate as the man who raped her. So it says, You shall take both of them to the gate of that town and stone them to death. They go because she was in a town and did not scream. That's a Hebrew word here. Scream for help. And the man because he violated another man's wife. Do you see why I say a betrothed lady is different from engagement today? Because here it's called the wife. Uh, you can remember that that's what Joseph faced. That Mary was pregnant. He was betrothed to to her, and then he, he was thinking about how am I going to divorce this woman? 
So betrothed is a very strong thing. It's not like engagement today where people can break it off anytime they, they choose. It's nothing like that. But it's a strong thing. Anyway, so this is the situation here. So, uh, he violated another man's wife. You must purge the evil from among you. Now the word we considered in our passage of Exodus 17 verse 4 then has a sense of to cry out an appeal. To cry out an appeal. That is to cry with an appeal for something or for some action. Now often though done in desperation or difficulty. So the sense of the word is, is what I will consider a crisis prayer. That's the sense of this word in this particular context. A crisis prayer. You recall, a prayer is a crisis prayer. If it is quick, a quick prayer to the Lord to help a person in the midst of a crisis or in a situation that requires immediate response by the person who utters it. That's what I defined many years ago as a crisis prayer. Now a good illustration of a crisis prayer is by Nehemiah when King Artaxerxes asked him the question regarding the change in his usual countenance as described in Nehemiah chapter 2 verses 4 and 5. Nehemiah Now, yes, uh, you can see, you, you run into a situation in life where people just hit you cold with some kind of question. You don't know what to say. That's a crisis. That's a time to pray. And the prayer will be a crisis prayer. Which will be, Lord, give me the answer. Now, please, give it to me. Anyway, so that's the kind of thing we have here. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 2 verse 4 reads, The king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven. And I answered the king. If it pleases the king. And if your servant has found favor in his sight. Let him send me to the city in Judah. Where my fathers are buried. So that I can rebuild it. Now there is no doubt. That Nehemiah was involved here in a silent prayer since he was before the king. Now I'm saying that his prayer was not audible to the king, nor did he close his eyes as he uttered his prayer. His prayer was uttered in a quick manner to God. So we are not told, of course, what he prayed, but the context suggests that he asked the Lord to give him the right words to enable him to answer the king correctly. That's what we can surmise. It's not stated, but what he said would lead to that. Now that aside, though, my point is that Nehemiah's prayer is an example of a crisis prayer to the Lord. Now there is a sense that the Holy Spirit worked in him here to recognize that he was to offer a crisis prayer which he did and the Lord answered him. So you should learn to offer crisis prayer in situations that require you to deal with a crisis. Of course, you should learn to be, I mean, to offer crisis prayer in situations that people hit you, like I said, with very serious questions you never anticipated. Of course, we should treat every situation where we are put on the spot as a crisis 
uh, you are put on the spot to provide an answer or to respond to something, you should look at that as a crisis. And so, we should at that point offer a quick and short prayer to the Lord for wisdom. You can be assured that if you do, provided you prayed under the control of the Holy Spirit and in faith, that the Lord will answer your prayer for wisdom in keeping with what the Holy Spirit stated through James in James chapter 1 verses 5 and 6. James chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. He says, he reads, If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt. Because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. So you pray, you don't doubt. So there you have it then. Pray in faith, in crisis, and the Lord will answer you. I believe that some of you can testify to the truth of what I have just taught or said. In this passage. Now personally. I cannot tell you. How many times. I have prayed. Crisis prayer with instant results. There have been situations. Some. Highly intellectual people. Have sprung on me. Applications. Based on the Bible. How you deal with this. I've never thought through it. I just say, Lord, provide me the answer. In fact, one happened last Thursday. When somebody hit me with a question, a high-power professor about AI and some of the things that he came up with. And boom, I gave him an answer. And when I finished that answer, he was stunned. I was stunned too. Because I know it didn't come from me. That's the result of a crisis prayer answered. So this is important. And the, the thing is, sometimes I, I don't know, I can't get this across to a lot of us. Most of us should be floating in the air instead of walking, really. What do I mean is, you have tasted the Lord to see how good he is, that when all other people are just limping around, you should be floating in the air. Because you know how powerful the God that you serve happened to be. And how he responds to his children who seek him, who follow his leading. And so, this is why I'm certain that if you do believe this truth and you hit a crisis, if you ask him, you see a result. Now, this aside, though, I know that the Lord answers crisis prayer then. Therefore, if you have not formed the habit of such a prayer, I encourage you to do so. And you will be surprised at what the Lord will do. So never learn that as a believer. Learn to do that. Don't trust on your own understanding. Learn to trust that even when it looks like it's obvious, ask the Lord for wisdom. And once you do that, whatever comes out of your mouth, that's it. Don't, don't do what they call more than one quarterback. I could have said this, I could have said, no, no, no. He said exactly what he wanted you to say. If you ask for him to do, to direct you. Anyway, so in any case, Moses makes two statements to the Lord as a part of his prayer. The first statement is given in the form of a question to the Lord as we read in Exodus 
chapter 17, verse 4. Again, he says, What am I to do with this people? This people. Now, this question of Moses is really an admission that he is limited in dealing with Israel. In effect, Moses admits to the Lord that he does not know how to respond to the Israelite described in the phrase, these people, these people. Now, spiritual leaders face situations where they have no answers for those they lead. And so, in those situations, they are better served by intense prayer to the Lord, even if it's a crisis prayer. They should do that. They must not think that they could solve the problem of those they lead on their own. They must look to the Lord. So the point is that Moses admitted to the Lord in his plea of prayer that he is helpless in leading the Israelites. That's what spiritual leaders should do also. Always remember, we're helpless. We have to rely on God's leading. Now the second statement of Moses to the Lord is that Israel was ready to kill him. It is this that is given in the last sentence of Exodus 17 verse 4. Look at the last sentence of verse 4. Say, they are almost ready to stone me. Now the phrase almost ready is translated from two Hebrew words used together. The first is a Hebrew word that as an adverb may express continuance, persistence, usually of past or present, so may be translated still, or it may be translated yet. It may express addition or repetition, so may mean more, or still, it can still mean still. Of course, when the continuance is limited by its nature to a single occurrence, it may then mean again. The word may mean again. Now, the word may mean longer, longer. It may mean also now as a marker of point of time that is simultaneous with the event in the discourse itself. In our verse, it is attached to another word, so it may mean yet. Now, the second word that is attached to is a Hebrew word, almost like meat, meat, that as an adjective means little, little. Now, the two words together may then be translated something like yet a little or a little longer, a little longer. Hence, Moses has gauged the mood of the people and their hostility towards him that he realized that they were ready to kill him by stoning him to death. Now, it is usually the case that when things go wrong for people, they want to kill their leaders since they see them as the cause of their problems. It's never I never force, you know, for me personally, based on the scripture. I am just amazed how Christians look at a human being as a solution to whatever problem is. It's when things are good, they blame people. Most people don't realize that they are the problem. But they blame their leaders. In whatever arena, I don't care what I pick anyone you want. You are one of the problems, not the person you're blaming. Because people, instead of looking at themselves, they're looking for someone to blame. As if they are innocent. They have nothing to contribute to whatever the problem is. So this is what we see here. People, as soon as something goes wrong, well, it must be leader's fault. It must be this person. It must be that person. It never be that maybe it is God's judgment on a group of people for ignoring him. It must be whoever the leader is. It never occurs to people 
It may, it may have nothing to do with the leader. But the people led. Anyway, so the fact is that just we humans do that. Things go wrong, we blame the leader. Now, the, this fact was also demonstrated in the time of David prior to him becoming king, but while he was leading a, a group of men that have rallied around him, as Saul was in pursuit of him because their families were captured by the Amalekites that raided Ziklag, where David and his men were temporarily living. So they turned against him, so to say, according to 4 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6. For Samuel, for Samuel, chapter thirty, verse six. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because his sons and daughters. You know, these people, some people came and raided their camp and carried away their wives and children. And they went somewhere to do what they do to keep living. And that infuriated them and so they blamed David. That's what we have here. So we, they talked about stoning him. But David found strength in the Lord his God. That's what a leader does. Even when, when they are turning against you, find your strength in the Lord. Look to the Lord and not to humans. Anyway, Moses correctly then read the mood of the Israelites and so he responded correctly by taking his case to the Lord. As the only one that could solve Israel's problem of lack of water. So in effect, unlike the Israelites who failed to learn the important lesson that we, we have stated. Moses learned that second lesson which is to learn to take your complaint to the Lord. And avoid blaming spiritual leaders for the difficulties you encounter. For sure, Moses was afraid, but his fear led him to take his fears to the Lord. In addition, he demonstrated that he understood the third lesson, which is, again, spiritual leaders may gently rebuke believers who respond incorrectly to difficulties, but should pray to the Lord to provide solution to their uh, difficulties. In other words, on one hand, they uh, rebuke them. On the other hand, they are praying to the Lord to solve whatever the problem happened to be. So this brings us then to the fourth lesson that is necessary to expand the passage of our story. That is, Exodus chapter 17 Verses 1 through 7. The fourth lesson of Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 through 7 is this. Learn to claim the lost promises provided you fulfill the implied conditions of the promises and stand by them until you get result from him. Again, learn to claim the lost promises, provided you fulfill the implied conditions of the promises, and stand by them until you get result from him. Now this lesson is based on the lost response to Moses' prayer and Moses' obedience to God's commands to him. 
The Lord answered Moses' prayer in two ways. Through instruction and through a promise that was eventually fulfilled. That's the two ways he answered. Through an instruction and a promise that was fulfilled. Now the Lord's instruction to Moses may be viewed as consisting of three commands, although it is possible to view the Lord's commands as consisting of four commands. The first command is for Moses to be in a leader's position, that is, to be before the people. In this particular context, as in the Expression of Exodus 17 verse 5, where it says, Walk on ahead of the people. Walk on ahead of the people. Now, the word walk is translated from a Hebrew word that uh, is concerned with movement. But I consider here only the meanings that are possible candidates in our passage. But the word may mean to pass as going through another nation's territory, as it is used in the request of Moses to the king of Edom, to grant the Israelites right of passage through their territory, as recorded in Numbers chapter 20, verse 17. Numbers Numbers chapter 20 verse 17 This is Moses' request to king of Edom Please let us pass through your country We will not go through any field or vineyard or drink water from any well. We will travel along the king's highway and not on to the right or to the left until we have passed through your territory. So uh, the word walk, uh, translate walk, here is translate pass. Now the uh, Hebrew word may mean to cross, to cross. As in the instruction given to Israel about what they should do once they get to the promised land after passing through the Jordan River in Deuteronomy chapter 27 verse 3. Deuteronomy 27 verse 3. Deuteronomy 27 verse 3 reads, Write on them all the words of this law. When you have crossed, that's a Hebrew word, here it's translated cross. When you have crossed over to enter the land, the Lord your God is giving you a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. Now the word may mean to go, as it is used in the instruction again of Israel's officers to convey to the Israelites to get ready then to cross the Jordan into the promised land as we read in Joshua chapter 1 verse 11. Joshua Chapter 1, verse 11. It is, go through the camp and tell the people, get your supplies ready. Three days from now, you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. 
Now in our passage of Exodus 17 verse uh, 5, it is really used in the sense of Exodus 17 5, to pass, to pass. That is, to go across or through. The first commandment is concerned with Moses being in a position of a leader or of the one leading the way but there is also the implication that Moses, be, uh, Moses uh, would have to appear before the Israelites prior to taking the position of the leader in the required movement that the Lord expects to occur. Now we say this because of the expression of Exodus 17.5. We're looking at where it says, Walk on ahead of the people. That is more literally from the Hebrew. Pass over to face the people. Pass over to face the people. Now this is because we have a Hebrew preposition that literally means to that is joined to a Hebrew word that literally means face. Face. That is of course you know, the normal face with all the Many organs of perception of eyes and speech and so on and so forth. Now, so the word, although it can mean literally face, is a, a Hebrew word, pane, pane. It can mean face, all right, but it has other meanings. It may mean presence or simply in front of. Now, the combination of the two. Hebrew words in our passage has the meaning of ahead of, ahead of, or before. Now, the, the meaning before may indicate then that Moses was to go before Israel prior to the movement required of him by the Lord. Now, the situation then will have, uh, will have been that Moses might have stepped away from the complaining crowd of the Israelites to pray to the Lord regarding the complaint of the Israelites because of the lack of water that they were complaining. Now after the Lord communicated to him the instructions that uh, he was about to carry out, Moses would then appear before the people prior to making the moves the Lord instructed him. So I'm saying that although Moses was eventually to be in, in the lead position of being ahead of the people, but before he gets uh, to that, he had to appear uh, before Israel following his temporary absence to pray to the Lord in some little corner or something that he, where he received the instruction of what to do as he was praying about the people's complaint. Now, so our interpretation is supported by the next command the Lord gave to Moses that involves selecting some of the elders among the people to accompany him as he moved in accordance with instruction that he received from the Lord. The selection of some of the Israelites, or in this case the elders, is given in the command of Exodus 17 verse 5. Look at it. It says, take with you some of the elders of Israel. Now literally, the Hebrew reads, and take with you some from the elders of Israel. Again, and take with you some from the elders of Israel. Now you see, the NIV and some of our English versions did not include the conjunction and in their translation, despite the fact that the Hebrew begins with a Hebrew particle that we stated uh, often is translated and in our English uh, versions. However, the Hebrew particle has several other usages. In our passage, it is used to indicate that the Lord instructed Moses to uh, what to do next and that thing he started him follow sequentially to him appearing before the people prior to making the move that the Lord required of him. There's no way Moses could take the action required of the second command 
without appearing before the Israelites. So he had to appear before them. Now, on appearing before the people, Moses then was to select some of the Israelites' elders, as implied again in that command of uh, Exodus 17, verse 5. Take with you some of the elders of Israel. Now, the word take is translated from a Hebrew word that can mean to grasp, to seize, but it has other meanings. For example, it may mean to fetch or to bring, as it is used in the instruction of Rebekah to her son, Jacob, about fetching uh, the animal that she will uh, use to prepare uh, a meal for the husband Isaac, during which, during according to her scheme, of course, of how Jacob will receive the blessing from the father instead of, it, of the firstborn uh, child, in this case Esau. She gave the instruction to Jacob, that's recorded in Genesis 27 verse 13, using our Hebrew word. Genesis 27 verse 13 reads, His mother said to him, My son, let the cause follow me. Just do what I say. Go and get them for me. Now that's command. Get them. May be translated, fetch them. Get the things I told you. Let me prepare this meal. uh, Jacob, of course, protested. Suppose my father finds out that uh, it's not really me. He said, don't worry about it. Let the cause be on me. Uh, you know, that was, you've never seen a, uh, when a woman is bent on doing something. You can't talk out of it. It's very difficult. In this case, that's what happened. Anyway, when Moses uh, appointed some men as leaders in Israel, it is our word that is used in Deuteronomy Chapter 1, verse 15. And hold on to that Deuteronomy. Hold on to Deuteronomy chapter 1, really. Because I'm going to pick about three verses there. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 15 reads, So, I took the leading men of your tribes, wise and respected, and appointed them to have authority over you as commanders of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens, and as tribal officials. Here, uh, the word here has a sense of chose, really. Now, although our word is translated took in this verse, but the sense, again, is that of choosing some men for leadership role as supported by the instruction of Moses in the same Deuteronomy chapter 1. Look at verse 13. Verse 13. It reads, Choose some wise, some wise understanding and respected men from each of your tribes. And I will set them over you. So Moses instructed the people to choose men who met certain criteria. So those he uh, took as leaders were chosen by the Israelites that met then the criteria he specified. Those the word took in Deuteronomy chapter 1 verse 15 has the sense of to choose. To choose. Now the word may mean to select again as it is used in Moses' choice of the twelve spies of Israel that were sent to explore Canaan as we read in Deuteronomy chapter 1 verse 23. Verse 23. It reads, The, the idea seemed good to me, so I selected twelve of you 
one man from each tribe. So that was selected. It's the same uh, Hebrew word that uh, can mean take, or Hebrew word lakach. So, the, so that here really in the sentence, I selected 12 of you, is literally, I took 12 of you. But it really means to select. Now the Hebrew word that means then to take is clearly, uh, in, the, in this case, translated choose in the instruction of Joshua to Israel before they crossed the Jordan River in Joshua chapter 3 verse 12. Joshua chapter 3 verse 12. It is now, then, choose twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. So it is true then that we do not have any criterion set here for choosing the men from the twelve tribes of Israel. The fact that Joshua commanded Israel to choose some men implies that there must be a criterion. For doing so, since among humans, there's always a basis for selection or choice of individuals for a given task. Now in our passage of Exodus 17 verse 5 then, the sense of the Hebrew word is to choose, not take, I mean to take, okay, but to choose, to select, and brings one or someone with another. But there's, no, uh, there's really no uh, guideline given here to Moses regarding how to select or choose those he is to bring with him as he carries out the command that involves his movement. This being the case, the Lord would have given him to choose, uh, he would have given him uh, or guided him in a way so that he can choose the individuals to accompany him and in so as to fulfill God's instruction to him. Now the only thing we know with certainty though is that the description of those he chose is given to us in verse seven of Exodus seventeen that I mean verse five of Exodus chapter seventeen that we're starting. That's the only thing we know for certain where it says some of elders of Israel. That's all we know. We don't know the number, no criteria, no number. But God guided him, and that's the only thing we know for certain. Now, the word elders here is translated from a Hebrew word that is used generally in one of two ways. It is used to connect advanced age in contrast to youth. Thus, it refers to, the, uh, to all persons, whether male or female. This we see it being used that way in Zechariah chapter 8 verse 4. Zechariah chapter 8 verse 4. Zechariah chapter 8 verse 4 reads, This is what the Lord Almighty says. Once again, men and women of right old age will sit in the streets of Jerusalem each with skin in hand because of his age. See the phrase men and women of ripe old age is literally old men and old women. Now the Hebrew word is also used in a technical sense that connotes authority. So uh, it is really in this second sense of authority an influence that the Hebrew word is actually used in Exodus chapter 17, verse 5. So it means elder leader, elder leader. That is an older person in the community involved in important religious and social decisions. So anyway, the second command is for Moses to select and bring with him some elders, although the number is not specified in our passage. 
Now this second command of Moses uh, choosing and bringing with him some elders of Israel lead to the third command that we'll get to in our next study. Nonetheless, as we end our study this evening, let me remind you of the fourth lesson that we have started to consider, which is learn to claim the Lord's promises provided you fulfill the implied conditions of the promises and stand by them until you get results from him. We'll just introduce it because we still have a, a long way to fully develop that uh, lesson. Nonetheless, uh, any, anyway, it is important that you know that, it's a, that you must be a person, a believer, who should prepare yourself in such a way that you know some promises in the scripture that you should claim at the appropriate time, depending on what you're facing. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the study of your word. We pray that God, the Holy Spirit, will challenge us in the things we have studied this evening, so that we'll be a people who know how to approach you in crisis time, and also to learn how to stand on your word, knowing fully well that you are faithful to them. This is our request in Christ's name.